I'm trying to figure out what all we have time for. Let's begin. If you have your Bibles tonight, let's go to 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1. And um, we'll read the first four verses there. Praise God. Luke Reming, it's good to see you tonight, brother. No, you snuck in on us, man. Good deal, brother. Blessing. Amen. Praise God. All right. 1 John chapter 1. And let's begin at verse number one, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have had concerning the word of life. The, the life was manifested and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you that your joy may be full. If I could tonight just hit some high points to work back to where we jumped off this morning. I know probably some of you, if not most of you, were not here this morning worshiping other places. And so I want to get us all on the same page. Then we're going to forge ahead tonight. First thing that I want to point out to you is that you were created by God for fellowship with Him. And fellowship with God is the highest and best purpose for man. Nothing is more important to him, and therefore nothing should be more important to you. Any other purpose, gift, calling, or reason for your existence is not only secondary to your fellowship with God, it is dependent upon it. Plain and simple, fellowship with God is why you exist. Because of that, your life will never make sense or be what it was meant to be without fellowship with with him. You were created by God in light of this fellowship purpose, meaning you were created in his image and likeness just a little bit lower than God himself to make this fellowship possible. What God made possible, sin made impossible. Sin, sin separated us from fellowship with God and caused us to fall short of his highest and best for us. God's eternal desire for fellowship with us is evident throughout the Word of God in spite of the sin that made that fellowship impossible. How are we doing? Everybody still with me? God's eternal desire for fellowship with us is evident throughout the Word of God and is only magnified by His continued pursuit of us and willingness to endure our rejecting Him, turning away from Him, forgetting Him, and desire for things other than Him. God's eternal desire for fellowship with His people is undeniable and can only be described as a deep, passionate longing within Him begging to be fulfilled. God's eternal desire for fellowship with His people is evident in the lengths He has gone to and the incredible price He paid to eliminate once and for all the sin that made fellowship with Him impossible. God's amazing gift of grace to you will never be understood or properly respected until you understand his eternal desire for fellowship with you. God's eternal desire for fellowship with His people is evident in that the incredible price He paid at great personal sacrifice and expense to Himself did not guarantee restored fellowship, but only made it possible for anyone who would choose it. This makes your ability to choose fellowship with Him the most expensive choice you will ever have the opportunity to make. Now... While we clearly see, I'm not sure what's going on with the, what's up there? Amen. Praise God. Amen. Amen. This makes your ability to choose fellowship with him the most expensive choice 
you will ever have the opportunity to make. Amen. All right. I've got it here. For some reason, it's not on the screen, so we're just going to keep trucking, all right? This is important, and we're fixing to, you know, we've been, we've been slogging through the Old Testament, you know, looking at things, right? Now, we, we're fixing to see things in a way we've never seen them before, okay? And so here's the point. While we clearly see God's desire for fellowship with His people throughout the Word of God, the exact kind of fellowship and the far-reaching nature of it does not come into view until Jesus and the New Testament, right? Now, God became man in the person of Jesus Christ. This is where we ended this morning. God became man in the person of Jesus Christ. The technical term for this is incarnation. And the root word of that in there is, is C-A-R-N, carnal, carn, that's speaking of flesh. So incarnation is when God became flesh and dwelt among us in the person of Jesus Christ. So God became man in the person of Jesus Christ. The Bible says it this way, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. I have no idea what's going on here. I know we're videoing and all of the stuff, but I'm, we're going we're gonna to fix this, all right? Amen. I don't know how we're going to fix it, but we're going to fix it. Everybody good? All right, thank you for being good. Let's see what we need to do here. I think I'm going to have to back out of it. Boom. And then we're going to reopen it. All right, then we're going to pull it back up. And everybody's good. That's exactly where we're supposed to be. All right, let me get there myself. Hallelujah. All right, thank you, Holy Spirit. I love technology. Amen. All right. Thank you, Jesus. I'm getting there, I promise you. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. All right. Amen. Moving right along. There we go. All right. God became man. Do what now? Amen, sister. There's no such thing as autopilot back there. All right. God became man in the person of Jesus Christ. The incarnation of Jesus and the means of His incarnation takes the evidence of God's eternal desire for us to places it had not previously been. I put in parentheses in my notes, Oh, my Father, what have you done? What have you done? John chapter 1 verse 14 says this, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. The glory is the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. All right, let me try to get refocused here. You probably didn't lose focus, but I almost did. All right. What's the point? Again, we're looking at biblical evidence to support God's eternal desire for fellowship with you and me. 
And while we see all these different signs and all these different you know, evidences from the Old Testament throughout, perhaps the greatest evidence of all is that He became a man and lived among us. That's how bad He wants to be with us. That's how much He wants to know you and you to know Him. He took this unprecedented, unimaginable step to leave an eternal heaven and become a human being on a temporary earth, an earth that He created. The the Creator joins in and becomes a creation. And notice it says the Word became flesh, capital W, that's speaking of Jesus. He became flesh, but He wasn't squirreled away in a cave somewhere. He wasn't, he wasn't you know, sitting on a throne where nobody could get to Him. He became flesh and He dwelt among us. This all began with Mary submitting to God's eternal desire for fellowship that allowed the Holy Spirit to impart to her the seed of God, implanting the seed of His life in her. That is is close fellowship there. That is God and man in the form of a man with a womb, woo-man becoming one. And I want you to pay close attention to the two words, impart and implanting. Because what we see in this first intimate act between God and Mary, we see signs of things to come. Because the same seed of life has now been imparted and implanted into every born again person. Among living things, those who are most similar and have the most in common are known to be of the same species. All living things are divided into a classification system called taxonomy. We see that these things begin with order and then they go to kingdom. From kingdom they go to phylum. From phylum they go to class. Species that are, you know, I'm sorry, living things that are in the same class, things that are in the same order, things that are in the same family, things that are in the same genus, and then you have things that are the most similar are considered to be things of the same species. Among living things, those who are most similar and have the most in common are of the same species, and the defining characteristic of things that are of the same species is this, they are able to bear one another's young. If you've ever wondered just how much like God are you, just how much like God are we, we are capable of bearing His children. That's how much we have been created in His image and in His likeness. Now, amidst all that is obvious from this miraculous act, do not overlook the oneness and intimacy between God and woman that made it possible, without which there would have been no means for Jesus to come to this earth. There would have been no means for Him to become flesh unless He became flesh in the womb of a woman. Sometimes I think we overlook this point. God wasn't just showing off bringing Jesus through the virgin birth. There was no other avenue or means for Him to exist here legally. There was no other way for Him to become flesh than to be conceived and born physically through the womb of a woman. 
God became man in the person of Jesus Christ. Now, I'm going to go ahead and tell you that what I'm about to give you, and I use that word strategically, what I'm about to give you is what's been given to me. And this will more than likely not be the first time you hear this from this pulpit. Sometimes when I'm studying and, and, and writing notes, I was trying to describe this to somebody one time and they said, that sounds like you hit a gusher. A gusher is when the thoughts come from God faster than you can type them or write them down. And this was the gusher that I believe the Holy Spirit has tapped into for us. Are you ready? God became man in the person of Jesus Christ and was nursed by us, bathed by us, cared for by us, trained by us. He grew up in one of our houses. God became man in the person of Jesus Christ in order to live and dwell among us. To touch us and be touched by us. To love us and be loved by us. Jesus hugged us and kissed us. Jesus spoke to us, ate with us, lived with us, laughed with us cried with us. He came into our homes. He healed us. And he healed our parents and children. Jesus talked to us about our Father and his great love for us. And then he lived our Father's love before us. He welcomed us all. He prayed for us. He prayed with us. He humbled himself for us. He got his hands dirty for us. He agonized over us. He bled for us. We rejected him, denied him, ran from him, and abandoned him when he needed us the most. We spit on him, ignored him, doubted him, refused to listen to him, disobeyed him, and even judged him. We beat him, mocked him, laughed at him, looked down on him, and turned our backs on him. We stripped him naked and killed him. He bled for us. He became poor for us. He became our sin for us. He allowed his body to be broken for us. He took our sickness upon himself for us. He allowed himself to be separated from his father for us. He died the death we deserved for us. He died for us. He paid for us. He went to hell for us. He canceled our debt for us. 
He took the sting of death for us. He broke the chain of sin for us. He overcame the devil for us. He defeated death for us. He took the keys to hell and the grave for us. He was raised for us. He fought for us. He won for us. He took back our glory and authority for us. He gave himself for us. He gave his all for us. He gave his all to us. He gave what Adam lost back to us. He gave his righteousness to us. He gave his name to us. He gave his seat to us. He gave his access to us. He gave his inheritance to us. He gave his kingdom to us. He gave his spirit to us. He gave his word to us. He gave his promise to us. And he gave his glory to us. He restored us. He did all of this and much more for us. The question that screams at me tonight, the question that has weighed so heavily upon me now for almost three weeks is why did Jesus do all of this for us? The simple answer is because he loves us. And if that would be your answer, you'd be correct, my friend. But we need to spend a little more time considering such an important question. Hear me out tonight. Hear me well, please. Love is an easy answer to give. And as important and as correct as it is, to just say because he loves me can be a cop out. Because he loves me can roll right off your tongue without you giving a second thought to the implications of, of such a vast love shown to you. Imagine for a moment you had personally chased after a person running from you for most of your life. And at great personal expense to your, yourself shown that person unimaginable love, generosity, and relentless mercy and kindness. Are you showing that kind of love just to prove how good a person you are? Are you, are you showing that kind of love because you don't have anything better to do? No, you're pursuing this person because you love them and desire to be with them, to have them in your life and to live closely with them. There is a huge disconnect in our hearts. between what we know about the love of God and that knowledge translating into His eternal desire for fellowship with us. i got to spend a minute there. Matter of fact, let me put that up on the board. Do you understand disconnect? Two things that should be joined together that are separate. Where we don't realize that one thing is actually communicating to us something that is also extremely important, something that is related, something that is connected. 
I don't want anybody here to misunderstand me. It is very, very important for us to tell people that Jesus loves them. It's very, very important for us to let people know that God, that, that God loves you. God, God is love. Here's my concern, though. That we've heard it so many times, we've become numb to what it really means. This is why the Bible says, for instance, John, later in, in 1 John chapter 3, he says, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon you. Okay? The word behold there is very important. He's saying that you need to spend some personal time meditating upon, pondering, thinking about the love that Father has demonstrated, the love that He has shown you the goodness that he has extended to you, the generosity that he has just lavished upon you. Are you with me tonight? When, when he's been there for you and been faithful to you when you were not faithful to him. Come on, anybody? Anybody? The, we, all, these, all these things, right? You know, I, I'm not sure if, if we just have this conscious or subconscious thought that somehow because he's the man, he's the boss, and that somehow he owes us and we're entitled. Man, he does not owe you a thing. He does not owe you a thing. As a matter of fact, the word makes it very clear. He will not be indebted to any man. God has not shown you love because he pities you. He's not shown you, I mean, you say, well, certainly he has mercy and compassion. Yes, absolutely. But Again, the love that he has for you is not just, you know, because you're a charity case and you can't get it right, so he's going to have to help you out every now and then. No, he has shown you this eternal, unconditional, unswerving love because he wants you. He's pursued you to the ends of the earth because he wants you. He's paid tremendous price for you because he wants you. He created you because he wants you. All this talk, and thank God, listen, we, we've been on, on this bus for a long time. We, uh, the grace bus, right? We've been preaching grace and heritage for a long time. We're celebrating 20 years, and for 20 years, we've been preaching grace as hard as we can preach it. Somebody said, well, eventually you'll, you'll preach enough grace to where then you, you swap over. There's nothing to swap over to. There's nothing to swap over to. We're going to go back to the law? For crying out loud, that's what we've been set free from. I'm concerned though that we've become, and, and this is why two years ago we preached a series of messages on grace and the fear of God. Those two things are not opposite ends of the spectrum. The fear of God is what causes us, enables us to appreciate the grace that He's shown us. Our goose was cooked, man. We were separated from God without any way of ever being reunited with Him. If He had not come to us, chased us down, died for us, paid our debt for us, and did all that He did for us, we would be lost forever. Without a leg to stand on, without an excuse to make, without an argument to give. It is a terrible thing to fall into the hands of an angry God. Because we don't properly fear Him, we don't respect 
the grace and love that he has for us. We just think we can live our lives any way we want to live them, do anything we want to do. And, and thank God for his grace. But see, you're missing out, number one, on what his grace could otherwise be producing in your life. But number two, he's missing out on what he wants. Fellowship. Your heart. Your heart. He didn't do everything he did for you on the cross so he can tell you what to do. I've told you this numerous times over the years. God didn't create you because he was looking for somebody else or something else to rule over. He's not insecure like that. He didn't create you because he needed a billion people to tell him how great he is. He knows how great he is. He knows how powerful he is. He didn't create you to rule over you even. He created you to rule through you. He created to live in you. He created you to share himself with you. The Lord told me something about himself the other day. I, I guess I should have known this, but there's something about it when it comes by revelation and, 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 and he says it to you and when you're praying and seeking him and, and, and wanting to understand these things. And, and this is what he said. He said, I don't know how to be selfish. He's never had a selfish thought. He's never put himself first. He's love. Love doesn't seek its own. God is incapable of selfishness. See, we're so selfish, we try to understand him based upon how we see things. That's why we have such a hard time figuring out why he did all this for us. Well, if I was God, I wouldn't have done it, so it must not be true. Well, thank God you're not him. See, there's always, we have to work hard and have that gift of repentance, right? There's always that, what about me? What's in it for me? How's this going to affect me? What's this going to mean to me, right? And we think that God makes decisions like that. God's never made a decision based upon, you know, how's this going to do this or whatever, you know, selfishness on his part. There is a huge disconnect in our hearts between what we know about the love of God and that knowledge of his love translating into an understanding of his eternal desire for fellowship with us, plain and simple. Yes, it's because he loves you. Duh. When you really love somebody, you want fellowship with them. Joked around a little bit at the beginning of the service. A couple of husbands whose wives have been away for a little while. You know, in our day and age, you can at least talk to them on a cell phone 48 times a day, text 955,000 times a day. It's not the same. It's not the same as them being with you and you being with them. If all God wanted was a long distance relationship with us, he had that. He had that without paying any other price, without, without offering any other sacrifice, without making any further commitment. He had that already. The questions we should be asking is, what does it mean 
to love someone especially this much? Do you think his love is meant to have little to no impact on you, your priorities, and the way you live your life? No. His love is meant to revolutionize our lives. His unconditional, unending love was meant to have such profound effect on us that it reoriented the way we live, the priorities that we have, and the things that we do every moment of every day in life. I want to close here. This morning we said that how you define Christianity, how you define the Christian life will determine how you go about it and when you think you got it, when you think you've arrived, when you think you're safe to call yourself a Christian, right? You see what I'm saying? You understand me? How you define it is what it means to you will determine how you go about it, how much time you put into it, how much of yourself you invest, right, so forth and so on. And then also will determine when you think you've arrived. Do you see now, I know it's been a, a week or two since we've been in Philippians, but you remember what Paul said? <laughs> that he's reevaluating everything in his life, right, in light of this opportunity for fellowship. And he said these words, I've counted everything as garbage so that I might gain this personal, intimate fellowship with my Savior. Paul said that one of the things he prayed for himself and for the church is that we would be able to comprehend a love that surpasses comprehension. The height, the width, the breadth, the depth, the length, basically the full dimension of God's love for us. Wow. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5 that his understanding of that love constrained him, it compelled him. It left him no other option in life but to live a specific way. This is why the Apostle Paul said, everything is lawful for me. There's nothing off the table. <laughs> but he refused to touch something that would interfere with his fellowship with Jesus. Do you see the, do you see the freedom in that? The freedom in that. My prayer for you and for me tonight is that the Holy Spirit would help us connect in our hearts what we know about his love for us and his eternal desire for fellowship with us. Why has he chased you down your whole life? Why, why has he pursued you? Why did he come to seek and to save you? Why did he not just sit there and say, well, if you want to work it out, come see me and we'll talk about it. But instead, when we showed no interest in working it out, 
he still came after us. My friend, you say he loved. Yes, it's because of his love, but why? Why is it manifested that way? Is it just love for love's sake? Is it just love so he could say that he did it? That he, see, I told you I loved you. I told, no, no, it's because he longs for fellowship with you. That's the love that he has. Amen. Amen. All right, stand with me. Praise God. Oh, thank you, Jesus. <clears throat> Father, so much evidence all pointing to one desire in your heart. Lord, this love relationship that translates into intimate personal fellowship with you. Help us to not overlook it, Father. Help us, Lord, to not only be people who have heard about your love. But have never known what it is to live every day of our lives with a realization of it. Father, it's your love. It's your love. It's the reason we're here tonight. The only reason for that matter any of us are even alive, Father, is because of your love. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace, your kindness, your generosity. You said your goodness is what causes us to have a change of heart. Father, I pray that every person in this room will make the right choice when it comes to the most expensive choice they'll ever have opportunity to make. That we'll choose fellowship with you. That we'll choose fellowship with you, Father. Lord, as we go our separate ways tonight, we thank you that we're going to let our light so shine amongst the people we are around this week that they're going to see our good works and glorify you in heaven. Father, that we would carry the influence with us into our homes, into our neighborhoods, into our communities, into our schools, into our work. That we would carry the influence with us that can only come through a person who fellowships closely with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for being here tonight. Thank you for um, being patient with some of the technical difficulties. We love you. Have a great week. We'll see you.